0: In 2008, the U.S. economy hits its own iceberg. And many of us have felt helpless as the global economy rocks back and forth, heaving this way and that way. And um, I don't think there's a person in this room that really has any control over that stuff. And yet we're all affected. We've all been affected. Layoffs, cutbacks, bailouts foreclosures, poor earning reports, rising oil prices, gas prices skyrocketing. Many of us know what it feels like to feel like we're drowning. We're drowning. You guys getting a big tax? Today's also, or tomorrow's officially tax day, right? So tax day, Tuesday, officially. So get your taxes in. Um, You guys getting big uh, refunds? Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> I uh, I don't. I, I think it was Jay Leno said maybe a couple of years back. Um, he said it looks like uh, the government. I think he said Obama is getting a huge refund this year um, because they have so many dependents. You know, world banks, AIG. Um, <laughs> would you believe that this year, according to um, an article that I read in USA Today this past Friday? Uh, written by Christine Dugas. more than two hundred thousand money strapped households this year will use their tax refunds to pay for bankruptcy filings and legal fees uh, that 's in a study done by the National Bureau of Economic Research. People are using whatever funds they have to you know try to get out of this somehow. I think the reality is both the tragedy of the sinking of the Titanic as well as the tragedy of what we've gone through in America since, you know, the the crash of 2008. I think both these tragedies were avoidable. Um, In this sermon series, what I'm aiming to do is uh, do the best that I can to equip you with basics uh, for building long-term financial health. Um, we're going to explore four practical and powerful financial lessons uh, that come to us from the wisdom, uh, with the wisdom found in the scriptures, and I'm going to use the Titanic to illustrate the ideas. So hopefully I'm going to give you some things that will stick in your mind, because I don't think God wants you to sink and drown financially. I don't think that, that is what he desires for your life. Here's the first lesson. Chris, if you want to turn yeah, right there. Now, this is debated uh, on the Internet. Um, I am not a, uh, uh, I'm not a naval engineer nor a naval historian. Um, I'm just relating one side of this debate. Uh, one, of, one of the factors that may have contributed to the sinking of the Titanic was that it may have had a critical design flaw, a critical design flaw, it may have had a rudder that was too small for a ship of that size with that kind of power. Because the rudder, because they were uh, at the last minute, they're trying to steer a huge, at that time, the largest moving object ever made by the hand of man, And quoting Mr. Ismay from Titanic, the movie. Titanic was the largest moving object ever made by the hand of man at that point. So they spot an iceberg and try to turn the ship. I mean, it seems that all the officers did everything that they needed to do, but still the ship could not turn to avoid the collision. They were trying to, they may have been trying to steer too much with far too little, making it. Way too late to avoid disaster once they saw it coming. A ship must have an adequate rudder. Would you agree? A ship must have an adequate rudder. Grab your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 27. If you don't have one this morning, I actually will be putting this on the screen as well. I think it's just good to have Bible in hand. The Proverbs is an interesting collection of wisdom sayings. This is wisdom literature writings. And so this is a collection of wisdom. Now some of these have been attributed to uh, King Solomon, an ancient king who was renowned for his wisdom. He was renowned for his wisdom and he was also renowned for his wealth. Um, King Solomon was a, the second king of the golden age of Israel. His, his dad was King David. And under David and Solomon, Israel experienced a real golden age and a flowering of their culture. And so Solomon knew uh, as much as anyone could have known at that time about global politics. If you know where Israel is situated, it's on a land bridge. kind It's basically like a land bridge between three continents: uh, Asia, Europe, and Africa. And this, uh, there were major tr- trade routes going right through that area. Solomon was reported to have like something like seven hundred wives. Now we see that you can be the wisest man in the world and still be dumb. Um, and who knows how many concubines. I'm still trying to figure out what a concubine is. I mean, I get the idea. I got my wife, I got the concubine. I mean, is that like I got my wife and my... I don't... That's a weird arrangement. But he had lots of concubines Um, and uh, caused him some trouble. But the reason why he had so many wives in particular was in that day and age, um, one of the ways nations made treaties with other nations uh, was by giving their children in marriage... And so many of Solomon's wives were like princesses, or they were they were princesses from other nations and other peoples. This was a way that they made peace. But Solomon uh, was rich beyond belief. Uh, he saw a flowering of his uh, his culture and the economy of Israel. Um, he was an international figure. Uh, people would travel large distances to come and hear from him um, and seek his wisdom. Um, and he. At the beginning of his uh, at the beginning of his reign as king, the Lord asked him, "Ask me anything, Solomon. I'll give you anything you want." And Solomon asked for wisdom, so that he could rule well and be a good leader. And God blessed him not only with wisdom but great wealth. And so, some of these proverbs uh, uh, some of these proverbs may have come from Solomon, or are attributed to Solomon, someone who knew a lot about wealth knew a lot about economic issues. And so this book, is Proverbs, is written kind of like an instructional guide for young people to make them wise, to get wisdom. And so that's where we're going to pick up this proverb. Now you're going to notice right away in this proverb, he's going to start talking about things that will probably make you want to turn your ears off. I want to encourage you not to do that. Sometimes we miss the great wisdom of the Bible because we have our own biases and prejudices. So he's gonna start he's gonna say things like flocks and herds, you know, like sheep and goats and things like that. I want you to understand that the world in that time it wasn't industrialized, it wasn't, you know, like like today we're in an information age in, in North America. Um, things were very different. They lived in more in an agrarian society. It's about farms and vineyards and orchards and herds and flocks. And their economy, uh, there was trade going on and all of that kind of thing, but your average man on the street, your average person is probably going to be more involved in uh, agrarian culture. Does that make sense? And so when when we're talking about flocks and herds, we're not talking about pets. Like, make sure you know you're, you watch your dog around water. You know, it's like, <laughs> not saying this is about economics and this is about business okay so it's just funny sometimes we see those words and we're like oh how silly and sweet and quaint but he's talking about matters of life and death about business you know about putting food on the table and paying off debts that's what he's talking about um in part here in this proverb so let's pick it up at verse uh, in proverbs 27 and we'll read verses 23 through 24 The writer says, Be sure to know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever. And a crown is not secure for all generations. Let's read it one more time. Be sure to know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Let's pray for a moment. Thank you, Lord, that you want to make us wise. You intend to make us wise. The world may consider us foolish because we believe in a risen Lord, but that doesn't make us foolish. We have wisdom that is truly beyond this age and that... and. Not only do you make us wise for the age to come, but you make us wise in this age as well. You encourage us to pray for wisdom and to trust you because you want to lavish wisdom upon us. But Lord, wisdom is not just seen in what it says or what it knows. Wisdom is shown in what it does. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're saying to us this morning and make us wise in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. If I were to boil down for our purposes this morning, what I think a central idea drawn from this scripture would be, it would be this. A wise person steers or plans their finances carefully because they get out of control quickly and easily. A wise person steers their finances carefully because they get out of control quickly and easily. So how do we do this? If you're like me, you're probably sitting, reading this or sitting there. When I read it, you know... uh, like many of you, sometimes I feel very on top of my financial situation. Other times I feel like my financial situation is on top of me. And so depending on where I'm at in, in, in a particular year, um, you know, I can take this different ways. One of the ways that I could take it is feeling ashamed. Feel like, well, you know, I read that text and I understand the correctness of the saying that a wise person will will carefully plan their finances because it gets out of control quickly and easily. Uh, I could read that and know that that's true but feel like, how does that even help? I mean, I feel like I'm buried and I feel ashamed and I feel, this just makes me feel worse. If you're feeling like that this morning, I want to encourage you, don't. The point of this is not to, to beat you down The point is to lift you up. And we all need reminding from time to time of sound wisdom when it comes to our finances. I think probably every person in this room has struggled with finances at one time or another. So if you are currently struggling, you're not alone. The point is not to condemn or to hurt or to make you feel bad. The point is, okay, wherever you're at, wherever you are this morning, with regard to your finances, the point of this series is to help you stay on track or chart a better course or to help you get back up. Uh, The the reality with your finances is that nobody else is going to do it for you. And if they do, I wouldn't trust them. If somebody is like, hey, I'll take care of all your finances for you and set it all straight, I would not trust that person. Doing finances is just not fun. I'm hoping to get some wisdom. Um, and, and this has been good for Julie and I and reminding us as well. So I think we're all in the same boat, okay? I don't want anybody to feel bad. So if you feel like guilt or shame, I want to encourage you, as best you can, stop it. You don't really need to put that. Putting that guilt and shame and that pressure on you is not going to help you. It's just going to make things worse. You don't need it, and I don't think God's putting it on you. God's not putting it on you. So as best you can, you don't need the emotional baggage that comes from feeling ashamed. That's just an added weight, pushing you under more. You don't need it. So as we move forward and look at some practical things we can do, I, if you, when the temptation to feel ashamed or guilty or whatever comes up, you know, I want you to forgive yourself. And I want you um, to resist that that emotional baggage as best you can pray god help me i don't feel like you're i just don't feel like jesus wants anybody to feel condemned and pushed down on this today okay so i if if jesus doesn't want you to feel it you know you're you don't i want i don't want you to sit there feel like i'm such a rotten bad person i don't think that's what jesus is saying to you today so practically How can we do this? How can we steer our finances um, carefully because they disappear quickly and easily? Two things I'm going to share, and they're very practical. They're very simple, and you'll be like, duh. Yeah, it's simple, very simple to say and understand, but, but difficult to do and to put into practice. It requires a choice. It requires discipline. How can you steer your finances? How can you have an adequate rudder for your financial ship? Two things. It is keep good records and plan your spending. Keep good records and plan your spending. Um, Some of you guys might know the answer to this, but I was at a conference at uh, Grand Canyon University a while back for youth ministry, and one of the leaders for Young Life in that area was there, and he deals a lot with um, uh, kids that come from um, economically disadvantaged homes. It's a nice way of talking about poverty, economically disadvantaged. And he asked this room full of Christian leaders, tell me. What don't you find in the home of somebody who is economically disadvantaged? What's not there? Almost is never there. And so, of course, we start firing off answers. You know, well, big screen, flat screen TV. No, those are there. Not always there, but often they're there. Great couches, furniture. No. A lot of times those are there, in North America anyways. They got amazing places with zero or n- zero down and no qualifying, qualifying, qualifying. Get your brand new Ashley furniture set today, today, today. It's amazing. Great appliances. No, they're there. So we went down the list of things you, you wouldn't think that you would see he said the funny thing is in his experience, and I don't know how authoritative it was, but he said in his experience, the one thing that he never saw in the home of somebody who was economically disadvantaged was a filing cabinet, a filing cabinet. Now, some of you are like, whoop, I don't have a filing cabinet. Yeah, but maybe you have Quicken, you know, maybe you take care of finances on the computer and keep records on the computer. What this spoke to at the time was the fact that um, in many economically disadvantaged homes, people that have lived in poverty for generations, not only do they have a depressed economic state, but there also is a mentality that goes with it. There is a way of looking at finances and at life. And by not having a filing cabinet, Uh, My dad, when he passed away, did not have a filing cabinet. And I can tell you with absolute certainty, my family in Johnsonburg, Pennsylvania lives in poverty. Absolute certainty. My dad had $300-and-something in his bank account when he died. And more debts than I knew what to do with. So we we just had to walk away. No filing cabinet. Julie and I worked for days going through trying to find... Important information that we needed to take care of his uh, financial affairs. We did the best we could, but it was a mess. We had to go down to the courthouse to pull up records and find out what liens he had against his house and his property. It was a mess. And his story is not unique. There's a mentality, there's this inability to manage our lives and to plan and to keep good records and to stay on top of things. And that's part, in our culture, that's part of, you know, what would come with a mentality that is a mentality well-suited for poverty. I'm not saying, listen... I am not saying that every—I am not saying that poor people are off. I'm not saying that every poor person is there because they choose to be. I think quite opposite is true, and I sincerely believe in economic injustice in the United States of America. I think particular communities have been uh, have been economically disadvantaged or disadvantaged for a long time, and that we have a long way to go to bring justice. Um, I believe that with all my heart. So I'm not trying to say. I'm not trying to villainize people, but I'm saying that when people for people to raise up, not only do they have to make more or make a better wage, but they have to think differently. They have to learn to think differently, because poverty is also a mentality. I think about a young man who grew up in the streets of Long Beach, California, named Calvin Brodus. Do you know him? Calvin Brodis. Grows up flying the blue flag on the streets of Long Beach, and as a young man gets involved in the music industry. You all know him as Snoop Dizzle. Snoop D O double G, the Snoop Dog, the dog father. Yeah. Somewhere he went from Calvin Brodus de la Ghetto to Snoop Dizzle, the businessman. And he is a businessman. If you pay attention, he is a businessman. He had to think, learn to think very differently when it comes to money. Many of the rappers that he started off with uh, never did learn to think differently. He had to change his mentality. Um, We've heard that it says uh, we need to know where our money comes from and where it goes. You need to be like Snoop, minus the first part of rolling down the street, smoking Indo, sipping on gin and juice, laid back. But you need to have your mind on your money and your money on your mind. Amen, brother. (laughs) You need to have your mind on your money and your money on your mind. You need to. I need to. We've heard that it said money talks in our culture. The truth is, no, it doesn't. Money slips away quietly when nobody's looking. Have you ever noticed how quickly and easily your money disappears? You're like, I had $300 in that account. Where did it go? I never spent $300. That happens to me regularly. Julie's like, all those little purchases add up. <laughs> it was, it's crazy. Money doesn't talk. It slips away quiet. It doesn't even tell you. You need to know four things. And, and if you could, write this down and memorize it. Four things you need to know. I must know what I own, what I owe, what I earn, and where it all goes. I must know these four things. I must know them. If I don't know them, I do not have an adequate rudder. I must know them. And I must not know it for you. And no one else is going to know it for you. If they do, that's a scary person. Unless you have the money to have an accountant. But You must know for yourself. I, you must know what I own, what I owe, what I earn, where it all goes. An inadequate rudder plus huge engines in a giant ship equals disaster. An inadequate accounting or ignorance of your financial condition plus easy credit equals Disaster. Disaster. Forget the stats of how many families argue or how many husband and wives get into the greatest fights they have directly over a a result of money. It's not just about money. I mean, when you feel like you're sinking, you feel like you're sinking. It affects every part of your life. You can't isolate it out and say, well, I just have money problems. If you have money problems, you have problems everywhere. Because it affects you emotionally. It affects you, it affects you emotionally. It affects you spiritually. It affects you socially, relationally. It'll affect your health. People in America are getting, I mean, uh, stroke and heart attack at younger and younger ages. Our stress level is through the roof. It causes us at the same level our debt is flying through the roof. So is the obesity level in, in America. Isn't it crazy? We're broke and... You see what's happening? It affects everywhere. I'm saying this to be compassionate. We must, you you got to take, you got to know these things for yourself. First step is to write it down. Write it down. Steve, I don't have time. Do you have time to sit up at night worrying about it? How much time do you waste worrying? I waste a lot of time worrying. I lose a lot of sleep worrying. And it never does anything good. You know, somebody helped me a long time ago to realize that when I feel very stressed out, one of the best things I can do is to stop, sit down, and start writing down what needs to happen. You know, when I go on vacation, the last thing I want to do is step on a scale. I have anxiety about stepping on a scale when I get back. I don't want to step on the scale. But the longer I don't step on the scale, the worse it gets, I promise you. I don't want to step on the scale. I step on the scale. Oh, really? But then I know where I am and the stress about it is gone because now I know where I am and I can plot my way forward. Writing it down, it will help your stress and it's the first step in having an adequate rudder. The second thing we need to do is to plan our spending. I'm going to drop the B word up in here. year ago, I dropped the F bomb. Forgiveness. Today, it's the B word, and this is offensive. Are you ready for the B word? Budget. Budget. We think budget. Oh, I don't want a budget. Handcuffs. Sucks the life out of me. A budget is really planned spending. It's telling your money where you want it to go instead of wondering where it all went. It's about setting some financial goals that we're working toward instead of drifting, spending, and guessing. When we drift, spend, and guess, we find ourselves in big trouble. Another proverb says, plan carefully and you will have plenty. If you act too quickly, you will never have enough. Plan carefully and you'll have plenty. If you act too quickly, you'll never have enough. There's a big cultural myth that we have and it goes on something like this. If I would just make more money, if I can just make more money, then I will be financially free. I need to make more money. Wrong. Why? Because your yearnings always are Greater than your earnings. Your yearnings are always greater than your earnings. What you want is always going to if if that's how your life is driven. It doesn't matter. I've seen people I know somebody who doesn't even have much, makes a six figure income, and managed to, to shipwreck themselves financially. It was nuts. It's like they, they get the, the job that gives them the money that they think they need to have, but they never change their mentality or their habits. And so out they go. Well, I got this raise. And so now I go and I eat up all of the, my raise money by getting myself the newest this phone or that phone and this plan and that plan and this TV and that and this and that. So that at the end of the month, I actually I lost money. Because all my raise money goes to pay off the new stuff that I financed. And then I actually went in the hole further. You ever notice how it is you go to buy anything? There's the introductory price and then the actual out-the-door price once you get all the options and upgrades. That's how it works. And so I go in to Verizon and I just want to spend X amount of dollars. And before I leave, I've talked myself into thinking it's a good idea that I overspent by hundreds and my plan has now gone up like 50 bucks a month. And it's easy to do. Well, because you don't know what my phone can do for me. I can rationalize it by saying, my new phone has a barcode scanner. Can you imagine all the money I'm going to save with my barcode scanner that I never use? Right? Financial freedom is not measured in how much you make. It's measured more by how much you spend and how much you keep. It's like if you act too quickly, you'll never have enough. This is about impulse buying. Impulse buying. All right, let's have a come to Jesus moment. Truth is, how many of you, have, have you ever have bought something on impulse and regretted it later? Right? Yeah, we've. I, I think we've all done that. We've all done that. I've done that and we've, we've regretted that I've purchased hundreds of dollars, hundreds of dollars on impulse in exercise equipment and candy bars. (laughs) The candy bars are simple to understand. They put them in the front of the checkout line. This year they made little baskets to put Cadbury eggs in right where I have to swipe my card and sign my signature. It's right there. It's not fair at all. And then, if you have kids, it's worse because they put all that stuff right at eye level for kids. It's like, Mom, I watch it happen. I'm at the store. I'm like, oh, look. I'm watching the kid. Oh, look. Oh, three Musketeers. Oh, a bag of little Reese's minis. Mom, can I have this? Mom's like, S- just shut up. i got to pay this thing. I'm trying to get the stuff across. Mom, fine, give it to me. <laughs> Jim knows he did this for a living, staging your product. Put it right where it goes. No, yeah, there's another retail guy trained in how to do this. You know, I'm, I'm watching TV, new exercise equipment all the time. You know what I found out? You know what, which one really works? The one you use after you get it. That's the one that works really well. Tomorrow, it's like, yeah, I see, it. I'm going to do that. I'm watching. And they come up with the newest, slickest way to convince me I need to stand up and do something about my, my health. So I pick up the phone and I'm going to call because tomorrow I'm waking up to do some P90X. I eat really lean off the grill after doing 100 reps. Julie screams out, would you just wait? Oh, my gosh, would you just wait? <laughs> huh? P90X, you did it? Oh, I bet it would. Yeah, I got tired. But you could send it back if you're not tough enough. Right? It's crazy. The problem is we live in America. America, our, our guiding economic thinking is Capitalism. Capitalism is in large part built on advertising. Advertising, a 100% of advertising that I've ever seen is trying to get you to buy something on impulse. Trying to get you to buy something on impulse. I don't think you'll ever see an ad that says, hey, we have a really outstanding stellar product here. We want you to think about this for the next six weeks and see if you can put it into your budget and then come back to us when you have the cash and it's going to be something very, that's something wise for your family. That's not what they say. What they say is, and if you give us a call right now, in, like, in the next 20 minutes, because we can't do this all day. Sham wow guy. Yeah, there's new product, the shticky. Right? It's all about impulse buying. Buy it right now. That's the way every. That's how it works. Would you believe there's a billion dollar industry? I'm not trying to be like some conspiracy theorist. I'm just telling you this is not. This is not hidden knowledge. There's a billion dollar industry that is made up of, of people that research the way that we think. They research our emotions, our thought patterns. They research us. They they know, and they come up and they craft. The right images and the right message, they know the trigger words to to get our emotions going. ads target our emotions, not our sensibilities don't they here's a perfect, perfect example of what i'm talking about, and this one gets me every time and it's super short. Chris and this has music, so we definitely need that. go ahead. just puts me in the mood <laughs> you ever think about i mean what's what's this i mean there's like five or six things in that commercial that i love chocolate peanut butter Marvin gay and something else that's alluded to you know what i mean <laughs> that advertisement doesn't have much to do with a little reese's egg does it And yet when I see it, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it just, something rises up in me. So there's two things I got to accomplish today. The first one is I got to go to the store and get me some Reese's. And the second is none of your business. (laughs) This is tough because the culture is geared against us. (laughs) It's this, these messages and, and advertisers and marketers are encouraging us uh, to do the very thing that the Bible tells us is foolish. They're encouraging impulse buying. That's they're targeting it. I'm not. I'm not trying to villainize them. I'm just trying to, you know, cast some light on the situation for us. Right? They have there. It's a billion-dollar industry. The culture is geared against you making wise decisions. Every magazine, every billboard, every radio station, every TV all says, Don't plan your spending. They say, Look at it, buy it, enjoy it now. The Bible says, and some of the wisest people that ever lived look at us across time and say, Don't do that. It's not wise. I don't like everything Dave Ramsey says, but he does say this, and I think it's true. Don't be normal. Broke is normal. Broke is normal. Be weird. To be weird, you got to think differently. Think differently. You got to be countercultural when it comes to your finances. An, ina- an inadequate rudder plus a huge, huge engines equal disaster. An inadequate financial plan, accounting and budgeting, plus easy credit equals disaster. The wise person steers their finances carefully because they get out of control quickly and easily. Quickly and easily. I don't believe that God's desire for you is for you to experience financial disaster. I don't believe that the God who that the Jesus who gave his life so that you could be free wants you enslaved to creditors. We can dress it all up in fancy language however we want. But there's something rotten and awful and evil when people's lives have been consumed by debt God doesn't want us to be consumed by debt and owned by our creditors it's not his intention for us he wants us to live life and live it to the fullest he wants you to experience he wants you to become financially wise and experience freedom Next week, we're going to talk about navigating financial da- disasters. Navigating them. How, how do you deal with them? What happens when emergencies come up? How can we deal with that? And what's some wisdom for that? And then, Chris, can you throw, throw up this um, the workshop slide? The 25th of this month, we're doing um, a free workshop on how to tell your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. I want you to to uh, be here and I want you to bring somebody. We're not selling anything. We're doing this free because we care about people. I did not graduate from high school with a good knowledge of how to handle my finances. Um, Knowing many of you the way that I know you, um, many of you didn't either. And so we're looking to fill, fill a gap and to help people. Um, so I want you to be here I want you to bring people we're doing this absolutely free um, so it's on the B word but you don't have to tell them it's on the B word just saying eh, it's about telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it all went let me land this bird today do you have an adequate financial rudder is, is are you steering your finances uh, carefully because you know that they disappear quickly and easily. If you don't, don't beat yourself up. I'm just saying don't wait any longer. Don't wait. Take action now. Write down a starter budget this week. Just start with those four words what I what I own, what I owe, what I earn, where it all goes. That's a good start. And then this financial workshop will give you detailed. Um, uh, detailed information. We'll give you TMI about budgeting. You will come away with all the resources you need to be able to budget well. Um, But I would say write it down. What I own, what I owe, what I earn, where it all goes.